welcome and thanks for tuning in to Real People, Real Talk. Relevant conversations that take you from surviving to thriving. This is the podcast that goes there. My name is Paul Calco and I'm your host. Now let's talk. Hello, Thriver, and welcome to the Real People, Real Talk podcast. And thank you so much for tuning in today. And here's why you should listen. This episode is all about thriving in your mental health. We're going to have an open, honest, and transparent conversation about mental health and what we can do as a church and what we can do as Christians and what we can do as people in general to break the stigma surrounding mental health and to better support our brothers and sisters that may be dealing with this. Our guest today, Laura Howe, she is a mental health clinician and a fellow podcaster. She hosts a care ministry podcast that has the goal of helping the listener to build a culture of care in the church. That's awesome. And she also founded Hope Made Strong, an organization that provides mental health resources that build resilient leaders and strong churches through online and on-site training. All of that to say, she has the qualifications that is going to make this a value-packed episode. So, Laura, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. And so, first (laughs) things first, we're going to get to the basics. How would you define mental health? Mental health, uh, these days, it's often a catchphrase, you know, or a cliche or something that's all encompassing. And it kind of is, if you think about it, it's your emotional, your mental, and even your social well-being. Uh, But because it encompasses so many of those areas, it impacts so many of our areas. So it impacts how we problem solve our work, our relationships, how we deal with stress, how we deal with circumstance in our lives. But mental health isn't always bad. We can just Describe mental health as being good, bad, or struggling, or thriving, or anywhere in between. Yes, I love how you expanded that definition because mental health is all encompassing um, the social, the emotional, and it impacts so much that sometimes we don't think that our mental health does impact these things, and they do. And so, what does it look like to be mentally healthy, in your opinion? Mentally healthy. Oh my goodness. So (laughs) if we could identify when we are mental healthy, I think that's individual to each person. Uh, You know, mentally healthy might be different and might look different from me to you, to my neighbor, to my coworker. But I think it's when we are able to have contentment, we're able to feel like we have a community where we belong, we have purpose, our identity, and we're able to handle the stressors in our life without uh, what they say is, you know, uh, hypo or hyper-arousal. So mm-hmm. Hypo is bottoming out and crashing out and just feeling lethargic, not getting out of bed, and just, you know, those really dark, slow, low med- motivation days or hyper when we fly off the handle and we can't handle the stress and we're, you know, upset or want to escape or any of those things. So when we're able to stay within the boundaries and not fly off the handle or bottom out, I think is a picture of what mentally healthy looks like. And those parameters are different for each person. Yes. What an excellent picture (laughs) that you painted that mental health is personal and it will vary from person to person but those words that you threw out really hit home like contentment Mm. community purpose 
and then just kind of putting all together that ability to handle stress. And so that's what it looks like to be mentally healthy. Now, like what steps can our dear listener take to improve their mental health? So there's seven different things that I identify that really help bolster or provide um, the foundations for someone to be resilient. Resiliency is like a muscle. It's not like a plaque you can put up on the wall saying, I am healthy and mentally healthy today, right. and therefore I'm going to be mentally healthy forever. Uh, I'm resilient today, so I am going to be resilient forever. Really, it's an ongoing practice or discipline. So like going to the gym, if you're if, if you don't use those muscles or strengthen in those muscles, they're going to uh, become weaker or lose their ability. And so that's what we can do as individuals. We can do different practices. And I can go through a couple of them. I don't know if you want to go through all seven. Yes. It take a while. Give it to us. All right. <laughs> Oh my gosh, you're test putting me on the spot. <laughs> I don't have it listed in front of me, so I might forget one or I'll two. Give because... us as many as you would like to. All right. You got right, freedom right. here. <laughs> okay. So one of the first one is to stay connected. Mm. That can be so helpful. If we isolate when we're feeling junky, it just it the it just becomes overwhelming. Right. And so staying connected to people who are encouraged, support, and maybe even challenge us to get off you know, get out of feeling stuck. So yes. I think that's a huge one, staying connected. Uh, another one is uh, rest. Finding time in our lives to rest. This culture of hustle is not what we're Say meant that. to. Our bodies and our minds and our, you know, well-being, we're not meant to hustle like the culture is challenging us and pushing us to hustle. So really prioritizing opportunities for rest, Oh, gosh, what's another one? Okay, one is self-care. Now, I don't know. Self-care, <laughs> I have I have a love-hate relationship for the term self-care because Understood. everyone just blames, oh, you need to have more self-care. And it's like that's putting the blame back on the person mm. who struggles. Oh, it's you're struggling because you're not doing something. Yeah. You're not doing self-care. And I feel, I don't like that. So to me, self-care is really just tending to those basic human needs. Eat, sleep, and move. Like these are the basics that are to tend and care for ourselves and our bodies and our mind. Eat, sleep, move. So that's self care in my books. So connect, rest, self care, boundaries, knowing when it's time to say no. That's always a good one. It's really hard, but it's it's one that is helpful. That really that really creates space so that we can be mentally well. Then we have um, having fun. This is one of my favorites. I love Having that. fun and enjoyment, recreation, laughing, doing something silly or like we did as a kid, riding your bike, building a fort, building Lego, you know, painting. I don't care what you do. If you liked it as an eight-year-old, you probably deep down would probably right. like it as an Good adult, point. right? So there's two more that are out there. So we've done five so far. So the next two are something that you don't really think of. But one of the things that I think builds our resilience and is a key to staying mentally well is knowing who you are, knowing who you are. And if you have a faith new, uh, in, in belief in Jesus, then knowing who you are in Christ, that you are an overcomer, you're not those things that your past heard or as a child people spoke over you. You are uh, an incredible creation with gifts and talents and purpose. So I think that is a big part. I think we 
if we're not good at everything, we're really down on ourselves and that can bring people's well-being down. And so knowing who you are is really hard. And then the final one and the seventh is meditation. Meditation is seen throughout the Bible. Right. And, and it really is turn, learning how to stop focusing on the negative and turning and focusing on, you know, what, what God says about us right. and our situation and, and focusing on that, learning how to change our focus and change what we're paying attention to. So those are the seven, the seven keys to resilience. And that's a huge mouthful. But those seven things, man, if you can start on a few of those and then work your way into the other seven, you you will find that you are building such a strong foundation for resilience and a strong foundation to be mentally well. Laura, that was so good, so rich, so practical. So I'm just give a quick recap for the listener. Those seven keys to resilience. Stay connected. I mean, that's why the pandemic and quarantine was so tough for people because we were disconnected and they wreaked havoc on a lot of people's mental and emotional health. Um, get your rest. Be careful. This hustle culture that's out there. Self-care. The boundaries and saying no, having fun, which is also my personal favorite. I try to plan at least one fun thing to do with my wife uh, throughout the week. And number six, knowing who you are, having that identity in Christ. Of course, as a pastor, I'm going to say that. Then number seven, meditation. And so, as Laura said, add this to your routine one by one. And we're briefly like for my self-care plan that I've spoken about before on here. Um, I've recently added exercise i've always exercised but recently i've added in on a more consistent basis so i started lifting weights i started doing cardio and to be honest with you and i hope this helps you um, my overall mood is better day to day i feel so much better not just physically but mentally and emotionally as well and my cardio would have consisted of nothing like hard or outrageous is i go outside i go for a walk and so not only as I'm getting physical exercise, but I'm getting the vitamin D that comes with the sunlight. I'm getting fresh air. And so be intentional with your mental health. Develop a self-care plan for you. But enough about me moving from the individual and moving to the community, um, specifically regarding the, the church, capital C church or the church at large. How can we as a church better support mental health? What does that look like? Some practical things that I would point out first is talking about it. I really think that when people don't hear the words depression, anxiety, struggle, and, and they're hearing those from the leadership. When there's a quote out there, and I'm not quite sure who's, who originally said it, um, but I know my pastor has said it a few times, is that people admire strength but they really are motivated by authenticity. Yes. And so if you can be authentic and and share where your struggles were, and it really makes other people say, oh, if they can overcome it, so can I. And there's nothing shameful about struggle. There's nothing shameful about um, having those moments in time. But really, it's just giving people hope. And so talking about mental health from the stage and your small groups right through really creates an environment that decreases stigma and really invites other people to be authentic in their struggle as well. Yes, I 100% agree. Hearing it from the pulpit, hearing it in the small groups and just making it a natural and normal part of our conversations. And also, and it's a bit of a soapbox, but as fellow Christians, we got to be careful that we don't demonize people that are struggling mm -hmm. mentally and emotionally. 
and we got to be careful with the words that we say. We can't just give these trite answers and just say, you know, pray more or just feel better. Of course, I always point people to Jesus, but bring other strategies and resources as well. And so taking it just a step further, Lord, like what steps can the church take in addition in addition to talking about it? But what steps can the church take to decrease the stigma around mental health? Because although now it is a little more. Um, in vogue, if you will, to talk about mental health. But what what can we do to continue to break that stigma that still surrounds it in some cases? Hmm. It's a great question because, you know, that's the hard part is that the church is often focused outwardly as it should. That's what the Bible teaches us. It tells us to go into the all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples, right? So often the church is really focused outward and reaching and connecting and gathering and 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 that's super important. Absolutely no question, not diminishing that need at all. But it's also you want to be able to create a healthy environment for people to come into and stay and grow. And so using some resources, whether it's volunteers, time, budget, whatever those resources might look like for your church by creating an environment in your church where people can come and grow. And so this might look like a discipleship pathway that starts where people are at rather than, you know, jumping ahead five steps, maybe start back it up just sharing with people that who they are in Christ is important and that they have a safe place to belong to and using the language like we we already mentioned. And then creating opportunities for people to engage despite their struggle. So not seeing struggle as something to overcome first before engagement, but really creating these opportunities to engage and, and equip people in the struggle, because that's where people really feel validated and supported. Mm. If you was in a pulpit right now and I was in the audience, my response would be amen and amen <laughs> to that. To what you just said, man, you're so right. Creating that environment for people to learn and grow. I love that. And then a key word is creating a safe place. I feel like sometimes in church we put on our Sunday best and we put mm-hmm. on this mask. Um, oftentimes you hear stories about uh, couples they was maybe they was arguing in the car and they come into church and start smiling yes. and all that but we need to create a safe place for us to kind of let our hair down so to speak and yeah. just be real to be vulnerable yeah. and allow god to heal those dark places that we got to bring to light yeah you know when people talk about or when you think about okay how to become vulnerable without looking weak or how mm. do i be vulnerable with with still wanting to seem like i am not broken person and and let's just be honest we're all broken people yes. we all have weakness we have to rely on christ to you know help us through all those moments so we're all there anyway so let's just remove that but there is a way to share about our struggle without being a burden or being a downer or or seeing seeming needy and and i like to again i don't know who come up with it but um we want to talk about our scars and not our wounds so if you are a leader or if you're discipling or you're a small group share about your scars the things that you know you went through in the past and have healed Our wounds are something that are raw, are sensitive, that we're going through and we're still finding healing from now. And, And those might not be the best moments to share. But we can share about our scars, the things that we have already healed from. And I think that's a really great place for people. Okay, how do I decrease stigma? How do I talk about my struggle? But I don't want to like 
spew all of what I'm going through in the moment on people. So there's ways we can do that by sharing about our scars and not our wounds. I've never heard that phrase before, but I love how you broke that down. It's the difference between our scars and our wounds, because if we're not careful, if we're sharing our wounds, we're just bleeding on people and nobody's going to get help. There's irony in that. There is so much strength in being vulnerable. I remember times in different sermons where I reveal that, you know, things that I have struggled with and just the overwhelming response from the listeners. It's like I tell it one story and man, God really did this. And it's kind of one of those stories where I may look like the hero. But then when I share those stories about my scars, more people can learn from that. So there is strength in being vulnerable. So, Laura, that was a really good word to let leaders know to share about our scars. And so taking the conversation even further, like how should the church respond and care for those they may be struggling mentally and emotionally because we know mm-hmm. they're there. They're they're at church and we want them to be there. But how can we care for them? Mm. Churches can't be all things to all people as much as we want to. There's limited people. There's limited time, limited resource. Like we can't build houses for the homeless. Like we don't. We we might want to, but that might not be the specific giftings or calling of that church. We might not be able to provide trauma therapy and counseling. Just we we don't have those people within our in our leadership team or in our congregations, or we might not be a addictions uh, recovery center for people. Uh, There's all of those needs. Our mental health impacts all of those areas. So it can be hard for churches to be like, okay, how do I help when the needs are so great? They are beyond the capacity of the church. So in my work with churches, I I really focus on three core pillars, and that's belonging, purpose, and hope. And these are the three core pillars that I think every church, no matter how, where you're located, the size of your congregation, the size of your budget, it doesn't matter. We can, we can infuse belonging, purpose, and hope in every touch point or every ministry within the church. And that is where caring is. If, if someone feels like they belong to a community, they are, they are learning that God has created them for purpose, on purpose, and they have hope that the future of of them with, you know, Christ in them is going to be great, then this, these are the foundations of care. Uh, for about 15 years, I worked as a clinical social worker in mental health, and it didn't matter who was in in the in the room with me, you know, requesting ther- counseling or therapy, it could be someone who is on the streets addicted to crystal meth or or opiates, or it can be an executive experiencing panic panic attacks and they're addicted to to alcohol to sleep. It, it really didn't matter. Those three core components was at the heart of every issue: belonging, safe community, purpose, helping people identify who they are in Christ. And hope. These are the core things that churches can do, every church can do, which cares for people and, and strengthens their well being. Belonging, purpose, and hope. A strategy that every church can do and provide. You hit the nail on the head, Laura, when you said, as a church, we can't be all things to all people all the time. And to make a parallel to that, as individuals, we can't be all things to all people. Mm-hmm. And as we're talking, having this conversation about mental health and being healthy mentally and emotionally, if we're not careful, whether it's as a spouse or as a parent, as a worker, et cetera, we, we can wear ourselves out. And it goes back to your point about 
setting boundaries and saying no um, is all interrelated here, as you as you can see. Um, we can wear ourselves out mentally and emotionally by trying to be Superman and Superwoman mm-hmm. and solve everybody's problem. It's okay to be a problem solver, but there's sometimes where you just need to point people to Jesus who mm. can do all things at all times, um, so to speak. And so um, as I was preparing for this episode, one of the phrases that you use is building cultures of care in our church rather than programs of care. I like that. I get that. But for my dear listener, can you unpack <laughs> that? Oftentimes as churches, we when we think of care, we think of the casseroles being delivered after a birth or a death. We think of the visitation in the hospital. or We think of pastoral care when a marriage or a relationship is going through a rocky time. Those are the kind of the core things yeah. that people stig- uh, like identify or consider as care. And, and while I 100% agree that those are definitely opportunities and infusions or moments in, of care, these, these programs or these specific ministries can often be siloed. So when someone thinks of how can the church help me, they think of casseroles, they think of hospitalizations, and they think of marriage counseling. And, and those aren't wrong, but I think the church is positioned in the neighborhoods of our community that Jesus and God knew that our communities needed belonging, purpose, and hope so much that, that the local church can take on the culture of the community or can reflect the culture and, and, and connect with the community in a unique way to provide a culture of care. So not just these moments of care, but by infusing belonging, purpose, and hope in your greeter team, in your usher team, in your music ministry, in your kidsmen. If you can answer the question, how does belonging, purpose, and hope, how is that offered in the cafe or how is that offered for the new believers? If you can say that about every ministry, you're going, your volunteers are going to turn shift from being people volunteering for once a month or whatever the schedule may be to people who are caring for the community and care then shifts from being just those moments in time to being a culture where your church becomes known as a place where they are cared for supported safe and belong such an interesting perspective and a unique look on that just building that culture of care like you said where it's not only those specific moments but from start to finish, doing what we can to be there for people and to um, show them that we love and that we care for them. Yeah. Yeah. So often we think that care needs to be from the pastor or a psychologist or a doctor. Oh, if you're struggling, you need to go see the specialist for that. Right. And I don't know about you, but I, when I had children or when I was newly married, I, I often went to my peers who were maybe only a few weeks, months, or maybe a short few years ahead of me for advice. I went to them first before I went to any specialist. I went to my peers, people who've been there, the people who've done that and are just a little bit ahead of me because I knew them. I trusted them. I can relate to them and I knew they would be honest with me and I can have relationship with them. And so if we can take the value of knowing and trusting and relationship and being able to offer care and just consideration for one another, then then the church becomes a place where people are cared for rather than having moments of care. Mm. Laura, I really love how practical your answers are. They're super <laughs> um, relatable. Um, they're realistic. 
they're not overly spiritual or too churchy, so to speak. So I love that. And just taking a new perspective, not just from the church as an institution, but as individuals, like our dear listeners that are tuning in, like how can they support their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that may be dealing with some things mentally and emotionally? Like what does it look like to come alongside them and offer support? A lot of times people ask that question, like, how can I support my neighbor? How can I support my friend? I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a pastor. I don't even, what do I say when I don't know what to say? What do I say when the person in front of me is going through something that I can't solve? No casserole is going to bring back a loved one or, or there's nothing that I can do that's going to fix this problem. So what do I say? And there was an episode that I did on um, the Care Ministry podcast that was about this very thing, what to say when you don't know what to say. And part of that is really just relating to the person as a peer, as a friend, as a human being, and and making the conversation about them and showing them that they're safe and that you want to hear from them. Because nothing is worse than, than confiding or sharing with someone and they're not giving you the time of day, they're not paying attention to you, and you feel like you're wasting your time or you're being brushed off, it hurts. It doesn't feel good. So we really want to make the other person the focus. And how you do that is validating their experience. Rather than going into a whole story about your how your Aunt Sue went through something similar, no one cares about Aunt Sue, bless her soul, but it really needs to be about the other person. So just saying the simple words like, wow, sounds like you're going through a really rough time is just simply telling the person that you can relate to them and acknowledging their strengths that, wow, you're going through a really rough time. It must take a tremendous amount of energy and effort to even wake up and go to work while going through all of that. You know, that's just showing that you hear them, you see them, and you see them as a capable, strong person. Another way and you can do is offer a help that doesn't doesn't cross your boundaries, you know, hey, can I give you a call tonight when I'm finished work? You're not spending, you know, you're not going out and buying them a meal or stopping what you're doing. You're you're checking in, you're offering support that is within your capabilities. So that doesn't you don't want to burden yourself, right? That doesn't help anyone. And then sometimes it's just good to stay silent and let people vent. You know, when we're going through stress, our mind is flying at a million miles a minute. So just keeping your mouth shut and allowing the person to talk is so helpful. Now, it's super awkward for us because we don't know what to say. And are they expecting me to know what to do about this? Mm -hmm. Now, it's super awkward for us, but it's really helpful for the other person. And then... To let the person carry on with some encouragement. I'm praying for you. Oh, this song brought me so much encouragement. Or, you know what? Last time you went through a really rough time, this is how you overcame. I believe that you're going to, God is going to do great things. And I'm going to partner with you in prayer and believe that Jesus is going to see you through this trial. And so that's really simple ways, but keeping the focus of the conversation on the other person by validating them, encouraging and recognizing their strengths, staying silent, offer support, and then leaving them with some encouragement. All I can say to that, to my dear listener, please go check out that episode. I love that title. What to say when you don't know what to say uh, at the Care Ministry Podcast. Um, The way that you explain it's like the average Joe, the average Susie can help out as opposed to I don't I don't know anything about theology. I don't know anything about um, psychology. How do I help them? Go listen to the episode. So. (laughs) 
Laura, before I let you go, as this episode has been so enlightened, um, not just for my listener, but for myself as well, um, please tell us about the Church Mental Health Summit that you're hosting in October that I am personally excited about. But tell the people about it. This is a great resource for your church to be able to begin that conversation about mental health. So if you don't know, okay, where do I start in my church with learning about accessing and getting people to um, decrease the stigma, or maybe it's just learning myself as a leader or as a congregant or as a community member, how do I learn more? The Church Mental Health Summit is a free online summit, 100% virtual on October 10th. And you can go to churchmentalhealthsummit.com. And on there, you're going to see over 50 speakers talking about all kinds of things, everything from leadership well-being to church resources to community needs to cultural impacts. And you're going to be able to watch it all for free on World Mental Health Day, which is October 10th. But if you want to get this resource for your church to be able to watch maybe with your volunteer team, bring you know watch a session with your staff or or what have you you can use this for your church however you need it you can get the all access pass and i think you're going to have a link in the show notes where people can access that and make sure they purchase um, that all access pass so they can use it ongoing lifetime access of the church mental health summit 50 speakers who love jesus and want to equip your church to support mental health in your church and community so good. And I'll be sure to leave that link in the show notes for the summit, as well as a link to Laura's podcast. Be sure to connect with her and check it all out. And Laura, thank you so much, not just for joining the show, which I am very appreciative of, but for what you do at the intersection of faith and mental health. Thank you so much. My pleasure. God's work is always good. And of course, thank you so much for listening. If this episode has added value to your life or to your day, take 30 seconds right now and share this episode with a friend from the Real People Real Talk podcast ministry. And before we conclude, allow me to share a scripture. Um, as you know, the goal of every podcast is to point people to Jesus. Regardless of the topic that we talk about, we want to point you to Jesus. And today's scripture is Psalms 46 and 1. God is our refuge and strength, our ever-present help in trouble wherever you are mentally and wherever you are emotionally know that god sees you he loves you and he cares for you but until next time go be all that god has called you to be <laughs>